0: Our Bible reading this morning comes from the second book of Timothy, chapter 4, reading from verses 9 through to the end of the chapter. And my apologies to any Greek scholars amongst you. Um, You'll see what I mean. So, starting at verse 9 of 2 Timothy 4. It's page 1197 in the Church Bibles. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Titicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen.
1: Well, didn't JC do well reading all those names? (laughs) Well done, JC. (laughs) JC came up to me about three weeks ago and said, I'm, I'm doing the reading for your first. Uh, preach as a full-time minister here at Vale, And I said, oh, you won't be smiling when you get to see the passage. But... <laughs> so we, last week, we came to the end of our series on human sexuality and identity. And Andy was asking the question, is there a better story? And I'd encourage for those of you who maybe didn't hear all of those uh, sermons to go back online and listen to Andy as he unpacks uh, all the different uh, challenges we face as a culture today, asking the question, is there a better story that we find contained within this precious book? This week, we'll be ending our series alongside the Better, Ser- better Story series uh, to Timothy. And uh, throughout the weeks, uh, you may have noticed we've been going through uh, this letter, and it's my joy uh, to bring this letter to a conclusion now today. Now the reason we've run both of these series alongside one another is because often the challenges and the issues uh, that we face in today's culture were no different to what the first century Christians were facing. Um, Yes, there are differences. Yes, it's not exactly the same, but there are definitely similarities as we saw particularly in last week's text. But let's now look to 2 Timothy as we come and bring this series to an end. Paul had uh, finished his missionary work. He had been released from house arrest, where we last saw him at the end of Acts, in Acts 28. And then sometimes in the, sometime in the mid-60s AD, um, 2 Timothy was written. Not directly after 1 Timothy, they were written separately. And we find Paul back in prison. Um, this time he is on death row, uh, more than likely in chains um, under the orders of Emperor Nero, who many of you, if you studied Roman history, will be aware of. Church history tells us because Paul was a Roman citizen, um, he he wasn't likely to be put into the lion's den uh, like other Christians at at that time, Um, but he was probably beheaded when it came to the end of his life. So I just want us to bear this in mind, him there on death row in this dark chamber waiting the moment of his execution. And at the point that we finish this letter with, we could, in all temptation, finish where we left off last time we were looking at this passage, when David preached via Andy. And you have to be there to know what I'm talking about there, that Andy preached via David. But we could finish there and forget about these final remarks because Paul says there, doesn't he, at the end, In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, I give you this charge. Preach the word, correct, rebuke, encourage. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Do the work in evangelist. Discharge discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have longing for his appearing. There's this triumphant, majestic, powerful message that Paul declares at the end, towards the end of this letter. And if we were to close our Bibles at that point and say, wow, isn't Paul amazing? He's he's ready for the executioner. Bring him in. He's got a crown of righteousness waiting for him when he gets to heaven. If If we stop reading there, we'll lose the richness of the text. Remember, Paul says in the previous chapter that all Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. This is the inspired Word of God. But maybe for those of you who are here for the first time this morning maybe new to church, trying to figure out what all this Jesus stuff is about, you might be thinking, well, what on earth does a letter written 2,000 years ago by an old man dying in a prison cell, what, what on earth has that got to do with me living today in Torbay in the 21st century? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to look at this morning First of all, just to give you some perspective, some geography. What, um, Josie read out all these names and it might just be easy for us to think, oh, well, that, you know, it doesn't mean anything. But, but I, in actual fact, these are real places, real people. Um, I don't know whether you can see the map, but in the middle there is Rome. This is where we believe Paul was uh, standing trial before Emperor Nero, before he was executed. And uh, Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. And um, you can kind of see that over to your you're right there, um, Ephesus, the other, the other city there in red. And that journey would have taken weeks, possibly even months for Timothy to make. You can hear Paul saying to him, please come quickly to me. Um, yet he had this big long distance to travel. And um, you can see that highlighted in the middle, Thessalonica, which was uh, where the letter of uh, Thessalonians was written. Uh, Demas had abandoned Paul and gone off to this uh, city somewhere else. Then you've got uh, Crescens, who was in Galatia, which was in central modern Turkey. And uh, this is where the book of Galatians was written to the churches in that region. And then up in the top there, you've got the other place where Titus was, Dalmatia. Uh, this is modern-day Croatia, uh, where he was. So you can see all of Paul's friends have been scattered um, there across the region. And then you can see just above Ephesus, you can see the city of Troas, uh, where Paul asks Timothy to go to pick up his cloak and his letters. Um, He also has to pick uh, Mark up on the way. Now who knows where Mark was, but Timothy had this long journey you can see to do. If you're familiar with Acts, you'll know that Troas uh, was the place where Paul was preaching for such a long time that a young man fell out the window um, and died unfortunately. But then Paul went and prayed and this man was uh, risen from the dead. If you want to Go and look that up over over lunch. I think it's uh, Acts. I don't know. I, I don't know where my notes are. It's in Acts. Read read the whole of Acts. It's a good book. <laughs> um, you'll find it. You'll find it in there. So Paul is here at the end of his life, and he's got all these different feelings going on. On the one hand, he's got this triumphant, majestic feeling that he knows he is going to be in heaven with Jesus. He's going to receive this crown of righteousness. But then the human side of him begins to come out. I've spent many occasions alongside the bedside of dying people, and often I will ask them, how are you feeling right now? And sometimes that feeling is peaceful, scared, confused, sad. Sad. All sorts of emotions come out at the bedside of a dying person. But what is Paul feeling here that we can pick out from this text? Firstly, he's feeling deserted. You see that there in verse uh, 10. For Demas has loved this world. He has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Also verse 16. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone has deserted me. Paul is feeling this sense of loneliness an abandonment. His friends have spread across uh, the, that, that world, that place, and he's just, where is, where is everyone? Where is all my friends? We know that some people were with him. Um, Dr. Luke, verse 11, uh, who wrote the book, uh, the Gospel of Luke, and the Acts of the Apostles. He's there uh, with Paul, probably his physician. We also know that Tychicus, Uh, was going to take this letter to Timothy in Ephesus. Uh, Tychicus was also a pastor, so he was probably going to take over uh, from Timothy when he arrived there in Ephesus. And we know that Eulabus, Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and the church in Rome were round about him at the time. But when it came to that moment where he stood before Emperor Nero and his court, ready to stand trial for execution, none of them were there along his side. Can you imagine that feeling of abandonment and loneliness that he must have felt? So, what does Paul do to reduce this sense of desolation and loneliness? Firstly, he calls for friendship. And this is a great lesson to us here today. When we're feeling lonely and abandoned, we can call upon our friends. He says to Timothy, verse 9, Come quickly to me. In verse 21, it says, Do your best to get here before winter. There was a sense of urgency. Paul knew his time of execution was coming. Demas had abandoned him. Demas was a great colleague of Paul. You can see that in Colossians 4.14 and Philemon 24. Demas was a great colleague but had abandoned him. And he also calls for him to bring Mark along with him. Now, again, if you look back into the book of Acts, Um, Acts chapter 15 you'll know that John Mark as he was known or John or sometimes Mark uh, was someone that Paul fell out with Barnabas over. Mark was someone who was coming and helping them but Paul and Barnabas fell out because he didn't want this man to be with him because he abandoned them before but you can see now that this relationship has been healed and Paul is calling for his friend to come to him once again Paul is so excited about Timothy coming at the beginning of the letter in chapter 1, verse 4. He says, it brings me great joy when you come to me. Secondly then, he's calling for these warm clothes. He wants him to bring uh, the cloak to him in verse 13. I don't know what that cloak was made of, why Paul wanted it particularly, why it's in Troas and not with him in Rome. We don't, we don't have those details, but we know he craves um, that warmth and that comfort. He's also asking for his books and his parchments or his scrolls uh, to come to him, um, for Timothy to bring those. And again, we don't know why he wanted them. I, I like to think, I like to speculate about what was going on here. And I want to imagine them sat around in, the, in that uh, dungeon chamber with uh, Mark who's come along and Luke, Dr. Luke, who's there, and Timothy. And he just says, look guys, this is the work that I've been, these are the things that I've been working on. Uh, these, uh, this is all these great stories um, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't, why don't you guys write a gospel about Jesus? Mark was there. Why don't, Mark, why don't you write um, a gospel? Dr. Luke, why don't you put some information together about who Jesus is? Now, that's pure speculation. That's not here in our Bibles anywhere. But you can just imagine it, can't you? These amazing pieces of information that Paul has gathered over the years that he's handing on to those who he's been mentoring. And then lastly, Forgiveness. This is this is amazing. He's facing this. He's been deserted by his friends, and then in verse sixteen he says, "At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. May it not be held against them." Those are familiar words, aren't they? Maybe Paul was thinking back to Acts seven, when Stephen um, was being stoned before him, and at the moment when Stephen was about to die, he said, Lord, forgive them. Or even as far back as as that moment when Jesus hung on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In this moment of sadness and loneliness, Paul didn't turn and become bitter and twisted and say, oh, well, I'm angry with them and I'm sad with them. He just stated the fact they've abandoned me. But... In their abandoned them, the Lord, may it not be held against them. God will forgive them. I will forgive them. And that's a lesson to each and every one of us this morning as we seek to find forgiveness for those who have let us down. And I just want to apologize to anyone uh, here in this church who's felt a sense of loneliness and abandonment. We are praying hard as a church about how we can make people feel included and welcomed. And I want to say to you this morning, if you've felt let down by us, please get in touch, uh, contact us via the church office, contact me, um, and we would love to find ways in which we can make you feel more included in our church fellowship. Because the reality is that loneliness comes in different forms. For some of you, it may come in the form of bereavement. For some, there may be a sense of feeling lost in the crowd. For some, it's isolation physically or emotionally. Am I the only one who's going through this? Sometimes loneliness comes through our circumstances, through addiction, through our age. We look around and see our friends are slowly passing away and we feel like we're the only one left. Maybe you felt misunderstood in the past. I just want to say to you this morning that Jesus sees you. And Jesus is with you in that loneliness. So what's the second thing that Paul is feeling? Firstly, he's feeling deserted. Secondly, he's feeling opposed. Verse 14, we see there that Alex, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. But the Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he has strongly opposed our message. Now, again, Alexander was a very popular name at that time. Many of you will have heard of Alexander the Great. Uh, So many people named their children Alexander after him. And we don't know who Alexander is. There's lots of speculation. Again, I I like to think about him maybe being one of the um, tradesmen living in Ephesus. And again, if you look back um, in Acts, um, you'll see that there was a riot in Ephesus. Because all the tradesmen who used to make idols to all these different gods... Uh, They had no business left because everybody was turning to Jesus Christ. And therefore, everyone was getting rid of their idols. No one wanted any idols. So all the tradesmen came together and they had a riot um, against Paul. And I wonder whether Alexander was one of those people who were opposing the church because he was losing out on trade. It'd be like the betting shop uh, people or the nightclub owners coming along to church on a Sunday and complaining that no one's going into their places of uh, business, because everyone is turning to Jesus Christ in the community. But obviously, Alexander, the metal worker, has done Paul a great deal of harm. Not just a little bit of harm, a great deal of harm. He strongly opposed not only Paul, but opposed the message that he's preaching, the message that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And he tells Timothy to be on your guard. Again, another clue that this man Quite possibly was in Ephesus where Timothy was a pastor. Be on your guard against this man. But remember that it's the Lord who will repay. It's not up to Timothy to take revenge. It's not up to Paul to take revenge. And neither is it up to us to take revenge when people have opposed us or wronged us. In another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he said these words. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, and this was written in Deuteronomy 32 25, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So here we have paul giving us this wonderful example in the book of romans it's not when when someone's wronged you when someone's hurt you try if at all possible to be at peace with those people but if that peace is impossible don't don't carry on feeling angry don't carry on seeking revenge because it's you're the one who's being hurt then you need to leave it in god's hands just as paul did when it came to alexander the metal worker So, what's Paul feeling? Deserted, opposed. But then comes this wonderful moment where he talks about how Jesus is standing with him. The Lord is standing with him, which is the title of today's message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. In the absence of human support, the presence of Jesus was made even more precious. As Timothy is coming to Paul, he doesn't come to find a disgruntled old soldier. He's coming to meet someone under the shadow of execution who says, I am praying for forgiveness for those who have deserted me. I am entrusting those who have opposed me to the justice of God. And in the meantime, he's experiencing, enabling and strengthening power of God. This was the same thing that we see in Acts 23 when he was preaching before the court. And it wasn't just strength to feel okay in that moment. It was in order that through him, the message might be fully proclaimed. Reminds me of Psalm 73. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and my portion forever. John Calvin said it was no small confirmation of Paul that his that when the whole world foamed in madness against him and all human assistance failed him, he still remained unshaken. All hell was let loose against him. He looks around for companionship. And all he is met with is silence. But the Lord stood by him. My one defense, my righteousness. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour in the dungeon, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. This is the gospel. This is what it means to be embraced by the gospel when all the other stuff begins to fall around and about us. As one day we will all face death. All the things we've accomplished, all the things on our walls that say we're significant, the car, the house, the bank account, all that we'll be able to say in that final moment is that the Lord stands with me. Can you picture the scene of his trial? He's there in Rome, the center of the known world, full of all these important people, rulers of the known world, maybe even before Emperor Nero himself, with the power of execution over him. They bring up this little converted Jew. And what does, he do? what does he do in these final opportunities? He says, would you just give me a moment to speak today? Here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you that Jesus is the Messiah. I want to tell you that Jesus is Lord and King. That forgiveness is found in him. I want to tell you that he has been raised from the dead. That Jesus is ascended and glorified and one day he will return. Can you imagine the people sitting there thinking, have you ever heard anything like this? In the shadow of death, this is what he says. I wonder how many of you are familiar with the story of Elizabeth Elliot. She was married to a man called Jim Elliot. Jim and his colleagues landed a plane on the 2nd of January, 1956 in the remote jungle of Ecuador, where they wanted to bring the love of Jesus to the Wurundi Indians. While they were landing, he kept rehearsing the message from the Wurundi phrasebook, Piti mundi pun mumpampa, meaning, I like you, I want to be your friends. Three tribe members made a friendly visit, but then there was apparently a miscommunication or perceived threat After the missionaries failed to make radio contact with the base station, searchers found their bodies pierced by wooden spears. But Elizabeth renewed contact with the tribe over the next two years, and in 1958, accompanied by a three-year-old daughter and the sister of one of the murdered missionaries, Rachel Saint, she moved in with the Wurundis, known by their neighbors as Alkas or Savages. And she ministered to them and remained in their settlement in the foothills of the Andes, eating barbecued monkey limbs and other local delicacies, living in rain-swept huts. Why? So that the message might be fully proclaimed. They led those people of the tribe to Jesus. And the people of the tribe understood their sincerity because they understood the forgiveness And the grace that Elizabeth and Rachel extended to them. But friends, this doesn't just apply to the Apostle Paul. This doesn't just apply to Elizabeth Elliot. I know I could call many of you forward here now. Who could tell me I know what Paul was talking about. I've experienced that in my life. When it feels like everyone's abandoned you. When you feel like you're being misunderstood. When you feel like you're being opposed and in that moment, you know the strengthening, comforting power that can only come from Jesus Christ. As I say, this is the power of the gospel to know Jesus' is shalom, to know Jesus' is peace in the middle of the trial. So let's look at that last point then. He was deserted, he was opposed, he was strengthened. But he was also rescued. Paul said he was rescued from the lion's mouth. Now, this was probably a metaphor uh, because we know as a Roman citizen, he wouldn't have gone into the arena with the lions. But it says here in verse 18 The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Every evil attack, what does this mean? That nothing bad will ever happen to him again. That I'm not going to die. This would be a false gospel to think that as, as we become a Christian, all of a sudden we're protected from every evil attack. That never again will we have to face trial and suffering. That never again will we have to fight and find ourselves in difficult circumstances. That would be a false gospel. But the true gospel says that as we walk through this life, Jesus will stand by us. That we will know the peace that can only come from him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And then right at the end, he says, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And you can imagine him sat in his cell, can't you? Saying, to God be the glory. Great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. Who yield a life and atonement for sin. And open the life gates that I may go in. Praise the Lord. Let's just be quiet. Let's bow our heads. can invite... Our worship teams come back up. I know for a fact that there are people sat here this morning um, who are here for the first time. I know for a fact that there are people who have sat here this morning who can identify with Paul's struggles. You feel deserted. You feel like nobody understands. You feel like you've been wronged. You feel like justice hasn't happened If you find yourself in that place this morning, I want to encourage you to come to Jesus. Jesus understands. He's been opposed in the moment of crisis, in the moment when he came to the cross. All of his friends abandoned him. He was despised so that we might live. Justice and righteousness are his and his alone. And this morning we can come and bring those things before him and leave them with him and trust him that when the time is right, he will deal with it. Don't go away from here this morning carrying that burden any longer. Leave it here. Leave it with Jesus. Go from this place and be free, just as Paul was in that cell. Even though he was bound by chains, he knew the freedom that came through Christ. And we want to pray that freedom over each other this morning. That like Paul, we would be able to say, to God be the glory. And that's what we're going to do now as we enter into a time of worship to give him all the glory give him all the praise and to recognize that he is with us no matter what and say to him we love you Jesus